Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Azban, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Yuma, daf Lamed Vav, page 36. Well, in typical Talking Talmud fashion, we're going to actually start on the page before with a very interesting Mishnah that I think should be familiar sounding to most of us because much of it is actually in the machzor of what we say on Yom Kippur itself. And we're in the middle of the Avoda, um, and we're describing the first the bull, the first uh, par that the Kohen Gadol burns. So the Kohen Gadol comes in and he stands next to his bull and his bull is standing between the entrance hall and the Mizbeach. With its head facing to the south, sorry, its head facing to the south and its face to the west. And the Gemara, we're not going to read this part, sort of explains how they exactly turn it. And the coin stands to the east of the bull, but his face is pointing to the west. And this is really the key part here of part of the avoda, is that he does smicha, which we'll talk a little bit more about, which sort of is essentially the idea of, you know, you place your hands on the animal and in a way the animal sort of becomes you or, or is in place of you. And has to do the vidui. V'kachu Omer, and this is the part that should sound familiar. Ana Hashem aviti v'shati chatati. Right? Um, I have, and again, you know, different. I have sinned. I have wronged. I have rebelled. L'fanecha ani uveti before you, me and my household. So this is his personal chatas that he's bringing on Yom Kippur. Ana Hashem kaperna lavonot v'lafishayim v'lachataim sh'aviti v'shapashati v'shachatati l'fanecha ani uveti. Hashem, please give atonement for the sins, the wrongs, the rebellions that I have sinned and done wrong and rebelled before you and my household. Katatu b'torat abdacha, right? Like it says in the b'torat Moshe abdacha, like it says in the Torah of your servant Moshe. And here they quote a pasuk from Vayikra, chapter sixteen, verse thirty. Ki bayom hazeh yechaper lechem, right? Uh, and you know they read that whole pasuk. Um, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the rest of it? Hashem Titaru, right? You'll be cleansed of all the sins. and then the people will respond after him. Right, and we know that traditionally that line when we say Shema is said quietly, but on Yom Kippur it was said loudly by everybody, and that's something that we do um, in uh, in Shul today. So to me, there's something very. Uh, comforting about this Mishnah, because even though we don't get to do the Avoda, or we don't observe Yom Kippur the way that we did when the Beit HaMikdash stood, but the fact that these types of pieces are still consistent in what we do on Yom Kippur um, shows us like how far back this actually goes, and, and to me provides some comfort. Um, I think that it's, you know, I think the fact that it's systematized is you know, exactly what we would expect. And then I think it's always nice to find the origins of what we do. Um, I want to talk just briefly about, the Gemara talks just briefly about what happens here with what the Kohen does with the animal, which is, you know, called smicha yadaim, the smicha, the laying on of hands on the korban. We've talked about this in the past briefly um, as well. I'm hard pressed right now to tell you exactly when we talked about it, but I recall it coming up maybe in Shabbat. Um, so the question is how the Kohen is going to place his hands on the offering, and this is going to be the case for every carbon, right? Meaning it applies here, but it's 
the the Mishnah is talking about about Yom Kippur. The Gemara in talking about smicha is talking about any time there would be a need for smicha yadayim. Uh, or made phone and so we we're in the middle of a uh the daf is already talking about the di- directions of the of the I guess the space there right and where is the mizbeach and which part and and so we're talking a lot about the directions that the animal's going to be here or made phone so the he he puts the korban to the north of the cor- of the courtyard ufanav lemarav and puts its face to the west. And the person who's doing the smicha, the, the Kohen, stands in the east and faces the west. He puts both hands uh, between the two horns of the animal, of the offering. Can't, there can't be anything separating between his hands and the animal's head. So I don't know what that would mean. He can't wear gloves, you know. I, I some might suggest that a, a any kind of rings maybe could be a chetzisa. If we talk about other situations where we know we have a concern about a barrier, like when you wash your hands, some people take off many people take off their rings to make sure that there's no barrier between their hands and the water. Here it says there can't be any again there can't be any um, interruption between the hands and the offering. And then he mitvada he confesses his sins, and this is exactly what you've read. Um, your Dana, and here he says specifically al chatat avon chatat. So on a korban chatat, he confesses for the the kinds of sins that one would bring a korban chatat, namely, and we've talked about this extensively through through all of Masechet Shabbat, right? If you um, did a, a if you committed a sin b'shogeg, that if it had been done b'mezid would be a violation of karet, but you've only done a b'shogeg, you are obligated to bring a korban chatat. And if it's a guilt offering, right, then he has to confess the transgression of the guilt offering, meaning for why he's paying back the sin with the guilt offering. So in any of these things where we've got a, okay, we've got a burnt offering, right, that's a regular korban ola, which is everything, the entirety of it is consumed on the Mizbeach. Um, and the there's no list here, you know, which specific transgressions are going to incur an ola. Um, and then also if he uh, forgot to, not, or or it's not forgot, right? If he did not leave the um, the pieces of his field, the parts of his field for leket shikha and peya, which is, um, let's see, Peah is the corners of the field. Leket is the part that you leave for the poor person to gather. And shikha is anything that might fall from your own gleanings you leave for the poor person. Or maser ani. Again, the, the tithing is a go to the poor person. So any of these um, any of these um, charity, really, charity offering, charity gifts from your own agriculture, you know, that you would have left for the poor people if you did not do so, then that seems to be included under a korban ola, although maybe other things might be as well. Uh, so all of this is thus are the these are all the circumstances that require smicha yadayim, um, and I, I mean I think that there's a tremendous amount of commentary on exactly what's happening with smicha, right, with the laying on of hands, because the question of why do you need to do this, right, and 
I've seen discussion of the the fact that it is, you know, really you, the person who did the transgression, should be on the Mizbeach, but instead of you, you're going to slaughter an animal instead. So you are kind of, you know, connecting to that animal by putting on the Mizbeach in this, in this, you know, again, laying on of hands, the idea that you your place would have been on the Mizbeach. That's, I think, the most dramatic um, explanation I've seen given um, in terms of, you know, why is this necessary? Why is this an integral part of these kinds of korbanot? It's interesting. I never thought about this piece with the Peah, Shechacha, and Leket, um, and then also Nevela, right? This idea of, you know, if it has a prohibition, you know, sort of if it's a, if it's a prohibition that comes after violating a positive commandment or not, um, and that there's not, you know, I think we always categorize things as like assays and low assays, but now there's like a separate category of like assays and low assays that are linked together. Ah, so all- let me let me explain this because I didn't I didn't get to Rabbi Akiva's opinion, um, meaning everything I said about the like a and Paya, that is Rabbi Yosef Glili. Rabbi Akiva says what you're saying, Yordina, um, that the only time you would ever bring an Ola, a Korban Ola as a, as a Chatat, as a, as a, not as a Chatat, as a red, redemption for having done something wrong, is if you have a, an Ase that comes together with a Lotase. And, and that connection is what incurs the Ola, as opposed to a Chatat or an Asham. Right. So I just think it's interesting to categorize, right, sorry, I should have clarified his Rabbi Akiva's opinion, but it, it's, it's interesting to see sort of, I don't know, I think you always just thought like, oh, you do a sin, you bring a korban, right? And now there like seems to be discussion within the Tanaim that it like kind of depends what type of sin of it, where, was it like being over in a lotase, not fulfilling an ase, isn't an ase and a lotase linked together? Um, it's just a different framing of the mitzvot than I think how we traditionally think about it. That's interesting. That is interesting. Um, I also just want to note that the, the Gemara goes on to say, well, what's the difference between the position of Rabbi Yosei Glili and Rabbi Akiva in terms of uh, any practical applications? Like, why would one say yes and the other say no? Where does this um, have an actual difference of psak? Because really, for all that they've categorized them differently, they really end up um, applying to many of the same you know, practices or sins, right? And the answer is there, you said Nevela. The, the question of Nevela is where Rabbi Akiva holds like that is a lav ma'alia. It's a complete violation. And Rabbi Yosei Glili says it's not a complete violation, in which case, according to Rabbi Akiva's characterization, you would not bring the, the korban. Right. So it's a little bit of a confusing piece of Gemara. I had to read it a couple of times to fully get it. Um, but also interesting how this application that they're talking about is a and then Nevela, it's, it's very few mitzvot. Like it's just a few of them. This isn't so as much as they're trying to make it a principle, it doesn't really apply to most of what's in the Torah itself. Right. And most of the, most of the examples would really be a Korban Chatat or Korban Asham, because those are the, the sin and guilt offerings. Like that's that are, those are the Korbanot that we bring um, in atonement or whatever of or guilt, I guess, um, of having done something wrong. The fact that there is a few a few examples that don't quite fit those categories that still require some kind of korban is, yeah, I think it's interesting. It's very. 
Um, I just want to wrap up with one last thing, which is about the vidui itself. Tanu Rabbanan, Ketzad Midvadeh, right? How did he do the vidui? Aviti Pashati Vechatati, Vechem Besa'ir HaMishaleach, Humer, right? And so this is a Tosefta, actually, um, you know, so that when he does the vidui, he says the same formulation that we had in our Mishnah. And then when he sends the scapegoat, he says, Right, that this is, uh, you know, he does a vidui for all of B'nai Israel's wrongdoings and the rebellions and their sins. Um, and so now we're saying that Moshe said, and now this is quoting a pasuk in uh, Shemot in chapter 34, verse 7. Divrei Rabbi Meir. So this is where Rabbi Meir says, okay, you get the order that you get because look at how Moshe said this, right? Forgiving, wrongdoing, rebellion, um, and uh, and sin. Um, and it's interesting to see that sort of part of what they're trying to do here is show that this, um, you know, that sort of the order of what we do is not just made up out of anywhere. Like there's biblical... Uh, there's biblical basis for it, right? We're trying to find another time where we saw somebody who had to do a vidui. And so we turn to Moshe Rabbeinu for that, right? So the Chachamim come and they explain, this is really the meaning of all these. Avonot are wrongdoings that are basically intentional, like you intentionally did it. Um, and these are the things that this pasuk that we have in, Bamidbar, right? It's linked to this Pasuk in Bamidbar, chapter 35, verse, sorry, chapter 15, verse 31, where it says, you know, that their soul shall be cut off because it has Avonah, it has guilt. So this has to refer to Avon has to be the worst type of thing. It's purposeful sinning. Pishaim Elu Hamiradim. So Pishaim refers to a rebellion. Not that you purposefully wanted to do something sinful, but you wanted to rebel against God. And again, now they have, they're going to go through a series of psukim here. And here they quote something from Melachim with the king of, of uh, Moab, right? And this is a pasuk uh, from Vayikra chapter four, verse two, right? Um, and so, and then finally they go and say, right? These are the mistaken when you sin, uh, by accident, right? That a person uh, sins uh, sins by mistake. Excuse me. That's the pasuk from Vayikra. From I I got mixed up here. Um, that's the pasuk from Vayikra, chapter four, verse two. The the one I quoted earlier from Malachim Bet. Um, so now the Gemara is going to ask a question, right? This is sort of a definition of these uh, sins that were given, right? And we're going to say that this is the opinion of, uh, you know, uh, this is the opinion that we have here, right? But then we're going to say is, why is it that you would confess it this way, that you would do the purposeful wrongdoings first, then the rebellions, and then the shkagot, right? The things that you didn't necessarily mean uh, to do, right? It should be the opposite, right? Shouldn't you go from less, like the, the least worst type of sinning to the worst? Why are you starting from the worst, right? Like purposefully sinning. 
way to the to the to the last. Um, and so, right, so they say, maybe that's how it should be. Right. And so now they're going to give some examples of where Chatati sort of comes first, right? So they have this example from David Amela, Chatanu Ima Botenu, Bivanu Hershanu, right? Vilchem Bishlomo Gomer, Chatanu Vershanu Maradnu, Vilchem Bidaniel Gomer, Chatanu Vivinu Vershanu Maradnu. So here now we have examples where Chatanu comes first. So why is it? Maybe that's actually what should logically be. And again, I think it's interesting to show the Vidoy is not coming out of anywhere. They're trying to find examples of how Vidoy or confession was done in other places in Tanakh as a model of how we should be doing it. So what do we say here? Ella Magushamar Moshe, right? One, but now we're going to go back again to sort of the original, right? Vidoy. No, say Avon Bafesha Vachata. I wouldn't say it's the original Vidoy, but it's sort of. Moshe of the Yud Gimel Midot, where Moshe, you know, talks about what are the Midot of Hashem that Hashem forgives us. And it says forgiving, right, the order that we have, it, right, forgives wrongdoing and rebellion and sin. Right. So the idea here is that you should make the Zidonot, the purposeful ones, like the Chicago, and that's why the order is the way that it is, right? I'm a Rabbi Varshmol, I'm a Rab, Halacha Kedivrei Chachamim. So Rabbi Varshmol says in the name Rab, the Halacha should be according to the rabbis, that no, we start with Chatati, right? And then we go to uh, to the to the worst ones. So then the Gemara says, Pshita, of course it should be this way. Yachid v'rabim v'halacha k'rabim. Of course we should follow the rabbis, because we're going to follow the rabbin. We're not going to do what Yachid says, what Rabbi Meir says. Mahu detema, right? So what's the what's the reason why? Because maybe you could say that, you know, this rationale for Rabbi Meir is very, very reasonable, right? Because it follows the way of, of, of Moshe. Right, and it's written in that order, and therefore we should go according to it. And therefore, no, we actually have to come out and say the halacha, what it's going to be. Like that's the question. Like, why does Rabbi Barbashmuel have to come out special to say what the halacha is? Because it's obvious that's what the halacha is. We have to follow by the majority. And says no, because actually Rabbi Mayer's opinion really makes a lot of sense. Also, so to me that was also very interesting, right? Because you know. Uh, like it's really sort of giving, it's really acknowledging like Rabbi Mayer has a very good point, like sort of in a way you kind of can prove both from Tanakh. You can prove both have precedent. And so they both really make sense to do. And so we really have to make a point here of saying there is a reason why we have to follow Rabbanan. And that's really just simply because we're just going to follow the majority. So I just want to take one step back um, <clears throat> and talk and comment on the, phenomenon of the vidui together with all of these prescription uh, details of things like offering these karbanot, right? Meaning, it seems, I, w- I just want to say that, you know, in beginning the daf, and you have all of the detail of where exactly, what direction you have, you place the animal and so on, where do you stand? And it's all very um, meticulously governed by the halacha, by the detail of what you're supposed to do. And then including what he's supposed to say, right? He has to be mitzvah, he has to come and confess 
with a formula of what he's supposed to say. And there's something about that that on the one hand is incongruous because, you know, how how is it supposed to be an honest confession if you're simply reciting, you know, a formula that we that we all know by heart, you know? And I think that that's the part of the the role here of the way confession works is that the recognition of having done wrong, it means that you come to the point that you're able to say this kind of thing, as opposed to um, having to, I don't know, pour your heart out in a in an independent kind of way. That's not how our carbonate our carbonate work, right? They are very prescribed and they are very formulaic, and yet that is in fact what the what it means to to confess and to rid yourself whatever of the sin of and and atone. Um, we do it through this statement and the smichayadaim and everything of the animal um, in a way that I, I find to be um, on the, like, as I say, on the one hand, it seems, you know, counterintuitive. On the other hand, I think it's exactly why it works, right? That there is a prescription and, a, and you follow through and, and with that method, you now have done what you're supposed to do, what the Kohen, you know, is doing what he's supposed to do. Right. And I think what's, interesting to see is sort of this combination of both. There's the physical piece of bringing the par, which sort of represents the coin, right? Like that's what he's doing with the smicha and also the verbal atonement as well. Uh, yes, exactly. And and the two pieces have to come together, meaning it's, it's as much, um, it's as personal as it can be, right? Without it being... Um, I don't know how to say it, what like independent or creative on the part of the person. It's not creative, but it's personal. Right. It is personal. Right. But we'll see. It's going to go level and it sort of levels up. He starts with the personal, then it will go to the Kohanim and then we'll, it will go to the whole nation. But that that's uh, coming attractions, I would say. Um, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgin website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.